1: Hey, YA is sponsored by Book Riot's TBR. TBR is Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. If you've been dreaming of a stitch fix for books, it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from new stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. KYA is a Bookwrite podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, alongside Eric Smith, and we are recording on Thursday, November 7th, 2019. Hello! Hello! It's been forever since we talked.
0: I know, I know. It's it's so funny, you know, you mentioned Stitch fi- Stitch Fix for Books. Uh, and now that we are in the heart of the fall, I can't help but think of my experience trying to use the actual Stitch Fix, uh, <laughs> because everything they sent me looked like, it made me look like a, like a lumberjack, you know? It was all oh. like the, the, the red plaid and like the jeans, and I'm just not good at pulling off that look. I can't do it.
1: I, I've had nothing but good luck with Stitch Fix.
0: Yeah? I gotta give it another shot.
1: Yeah, I mean... You just have to be, like, super specific and maybe send them pictures of you in the lumberjack apparel and be like, you don't want this.
0: (laughs) It's true. I think I need to, like, unclick the lumbersexual tag (laughs) and I'll I'll be in good shape.
1: (laughs) So besides that, what have you been reading?
0: Oh, wow. So, uh, I'm gonna break our Hawaii rules, which honestly, <laughs> I feel like there's no rules anymore. Um, but I, I'm reading Tristan Strong, Punches a Hole in the Sky, uh, by Kwame Imbalia. Uh, it's one of those Rick Riordan presents books, um, where a, a kid accidentally, uh, creates a hole in Midpass, a world where ancient African gods are clashing with gods of African-American legend. And, oh man, it's just really something special. I'm like, just a few chapters in, uh, I'm actually slowly reading it to my two-year-old, even though he doesn't understand anything that's going on because he's two. Um, but yeah, I'm really loving it. The voice is just so great. It's just really fun to try to, try to, I don't know, introduce him to books like this in the best way I can. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? Ah, oh, so. I haven't read a YA book in a long time, except, (laughs) um, I, (laughs) so I'm on the audi's. I know I've talked about this before and I did listen to a YA book that I can't name, but it was the second in a fantasy series. And I love the audio so, so much and love the story. Even though I didn't read the first one, I was totally fine reading the second one without it. Um, and that's really all I can say about that. And as I was like, Writing out my notes of oh I haven't read a YA in a while, I realized I read an adult book that has awesome YA appeal. So you're breaking the rules, I'm breaking the rules. Yes. And uh, <laughs> rule breakers. Um I read Wildlife by Kina Roberts, which I, I feel like I've talked about on this show before, but it's um it's an adult memoir, but is one that has super great crossover appeal. It's mm-hmm. about Robert's story growing up, splitting her time. Every year between her, like, posh Philly suburban high school, which she hated, and working with her parents at a baboon camp in Botswana, wow. which was really, really cool. She. Just like her voice is great in it, and all these stories of like living on this very, very remote camp were so fascinating and interesting. And like this is a, a part of the world I know nothing about, and feel like I got a really great introduction to the people and to just how remote where they were was. Uh, she said something in there about the nearest big city to where they were at this baboon camp was four hours away and that it wasn't even a real city. And I'm like, thinking about that, like that is so remote and terrifying to think like your neighbors are literally the baboons and the, you know, all the wildlife that can like rip you to shreds and you have like nowhere to go. It was, it was fascinating. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that one more on all the books, which will be out when this podcast comes out too, but one that I think YA readers
0: would love. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Oh my goodness. Um, it's funny. While we were doing, uh, research for this, speaking of, of books that aren't quite YA, um, so, you know, for one of our segments, I was, you know, I, I, I sometimes hop on Goodreads or, or read various articles. Uh, and I was trying to find YA novels published in 2011. And for some reason, at like the very top of the list was like Dubliners by James Joyce. And I was like, what alternate dimension of literary hell have I fallen into
1: where
0: this is a book? Oh, my God. Undergrad flashbacks came hard and fast. I, uh, that was oh, not great. <laughs>
1: I feel like that's a great segue into our first topic, but yes. first we'll we'll hit our first sponsor, which is Supernova by Marissa Meyer with Fierce Reads. It's the third book in the Renegades trilogy from number one New York Times bestselling author Marissa Meyer. And uh, if you haven't read the first two books in the Renegades trilogy, which are called Renegades and Arch Enemies, now's the perfect time to marathon read the entire series, as book three, Supernova, has it all. Action, romance, and betrayal. Nova and Adrian's greatest fears are about to come to life, and unless they can bridge the divide between heroes and villains, they stand to lose everything, including each other. This is the epic conclusion that will leave readers on edge until the final shocking secrets are revealed. Thank you to our first sponsor, Supernova by Marissa Meyer from Fierce Reads.
0: Oh my goodness, a series that is finishing. That's, that is yeah. that is all you.
1: <laughs> that is all me. You know how I feel about that. Good. Really good. So speaking of finishing things... And while you were doing research on books from 2011, <laughs> Eric, you had to write an article uh, in the last week that, like, you and I both know, you weren't super jazzed to write. Do <laughs> you want to talk about it a little bit? Oh
0: yeah, well, you know, I did a best YA of the decade uh, <laughs> thing for Paste, um, and like, you know, I, I contributed my bits and pieces, but it was a it was a group effort. There are lots of people mm-hmm. contributing to it. Um, but you know, when that happens, stuff gets overlooked. You know, you can't yeah. I can't help it. Uh, so yeah, I think, uh, your suggestion to do this roundup is a direct attack, <laughs> and, but also sounds like a good idea to highlight some stuff that, uh, other decade lists, um, uh, might have missed.
1: Yeah. And I feel like this decade of YA has been one of like real change. I mean, obviously YA's grown over the last 50 plus years since it's become its own category, but I think In the last, especially the last half decade, we've really seen representation become not just a nice part of YA, but utterly vital as it is Mm -hmm. part of our world. And um, so it got me thinking about some of the books that came out in the earlier part of this decade, as well as some of the quieter YA that came out that is easy to have missed when it came out and certainly easy to miss in those like best of decade roundups. And um thought we'd highlight some that maybe we don't talk about enough or haven't seen talked about in a while, and also with the preface that some of these books I haven't read since two thousand and eleven. so <laughs> I was like, i as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, man, I wonder if they hold up still. I wonder if they would be looked at differently now. You know, there's a lot to think about with that, and I think that there's a lot of value in in reading some of these books that you once really liked and seeing like, okay how would this book look now? Were it written now? Or, yeah, um, yeah. How would it be analyzed now? So before we dive in, though, <laughs> before we dive in, as I was, like, doing my own research for this one, can we talk about how in 2010 there were so many celebrity YA novels? We had, like, there was a Lauren Conrad series. There was a Hillary Duff series. like
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think 2011 or, no, maybe 2012 was – uh. Wasn't 2012 when Model Land came
1: out? Oh, I think so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What happened? Where where are the celebrity YA booms? Is, is it gonna come back? Are we are we done? Um, I don't know. Because there are some Y there are some celebrities out there I would read a YA novel from.
1: Darius Rucker?
0: Oh my goodness. Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: Give me the Hootie and the Blowfish YA novel. They are all a bunch of teens.
1: And they love the dolphins.
0: Yep, <laughs> that's it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that was such an inside joke and <laughs> makes me so happy. <laughs>
0: Listen, I just like Hootie and the Blowfish a lot, dear listeners. So, I- uh, and a couple of, maybe two weeks ago, a Hootie and the Blowfish book was announced uh, in the in the publishing world. Someone sold one. And pretty <laughs> much everyone in publishing sent me a link to that Hootie and the Blowfish <laughs> announcement.
1: So I wasn't the first one?
0: You were the first, but then many, many others came and people were just like, I'm surprised you didn't do this. I'm like, you know what? (laughs) Me too. let's talk
1: about books that are published. Yes. Um, and and I'll dive in first, just because my title is right here first. Um, so my first pick for this roundup is Rosie's Red by Cecil Castellucci. And uh, Castellucci has been a staple in YA for a really, really long time. And over the last decade, she's had a few books out. And two in particular really resonated with me. The first was called First and Earth, which is about uh, what it's like to be alien in an alien world and spoiler alert that's called being human mm-hmm. um, and the second book that stood out to me was this one uh, Rose Sees Red which kind of gives this look at a rarely explored historical moment in global history as well as Ballet. So it's uh, set in 1982 New York City, and it follows a girl named Rose, who's a freshman at a performing arts high school, and she's really torn up about her "quote unquote" best friend Daisy being a real bully to her. Um, Urena is her neighbor, and she's worrying about what's going to happen the next morning when she has to go back to Russia. So. Urena decides to sneak into Rose's room, and they decide that the two of them are going to have one last night on the city before everything in both of their lives changes. So this is a book about friendship and about the ways they have their ups and downs, and it's also about what it's like to be from Russia while living in the U.S. during the height of the Cold War, and it's about... Fear in both of these places and what it's like to feel as if you'll never fit in anywhere. It's a really short read. It's I want to say it's under 200 pages. And for readers who like me dig those quote-unquote one-night stories, this is a really fast-paced historical read and a total winner. And one I'd love to see more people pick up. I'd be fascinated to see how it holds up now, particularly as our political... Climate with Russia has has changed over the last decade as well, um, and that is "Rose Sees Red" by Cecil Castellucci.
0: You know, it's funny while you were talking uh, about that book, uh, I remembered her other book, uh, "Tin Star." Her other her uh-huh. other book, um, she writes about aliens a lot, and I mm-hmm. like it. You know, um, yeah. Like, and I love that book in particular because, like, it's about, like, you know, it's, it's sci-fi and space and a girl trapped on a space station with lots of aliens, but it's really about someone who's, like, desperately alone and, and wants to connect with people again. Um, mm-hmm. I would recommend adding that to, uh, to that best decade book you might have <laughs> missed list. Cause that came out in, I uh, was it, like 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so one of the things I really like about, like, digging into underrated books from the last decade, um, is that, you know, again, like, when I do research, I hop on Goodreads and other websites, uh, and it's weird seeing books that are a little bit older that you know like I know weren't really popular or didn't really blow up then uh and still really aren't widely talked about on you know social media and at events all that often but now suddenly have like tens of thousands of reviews because that's how publishing works and books from a long <laughs> time ago uh do well with word of mouth and people getting to know them um But at the same time, I kept seeing all those reviews and, like, stars and wondering, like, oh, maybe this book was popular, and I just didn't know. So, Goodreads messed with me uh, quite a bit. So the first one I want to bring up is uh, Tracked by Jenny Martin, which came out in 2015. Uh, this book sounds familiar if you, if you read, you know, if you're a Book Riot uh, reader as well as listener. Um, it's probably because I wouldn't shut up about this book when it came out in 2015. Uh, it's this young adult duology set in this far-flung future where we're, you know, humanity is settled on a bundle of planets in another solar system. Uh, and we meet a girl named Fee, who is a street racer. Uh, and the daughter of a street racing legend on these uh planets far away, um, but this giant corporation basically owns and controls the planets that people live on uh, and decide to make her the new star and she finds herself caught up in this mi- caught up in the middle of a battle for the the system's independence from this company uh as well as a fight uh, for her own heart because there's a love triangle uh that spans this little galaxy, maybe she's in love with two boys on two different planets and ah. Uh, I feel like this book never really got the love it deserved. It has this amazing sequel, uh, and it reads like the Fast and the Furious is, like, mashed up together with Star Wars, which is, like, that's just everything I've ever wanted. And I highly recommend checking it out, and that is uh, Tracked by Jenny Martin.
1: My next pick is Family. By Nicole Asto. Oh, yes. Yeah. This one came out in 2011, and it might not actually be in print anymore, but uh, chances are you could track it down, and you should, especially if you're into true crime. It's a riff on the Manson story and the Manson history and family. Um so, it follows a girl named Melinda Jensen, who is 17, and she's had a really awful life. Her uh, mom is kind of not in the picture. She has no dad. And the guy who calls himself Uncle Jack does little more than take advantage of her. So, uh, she decides she's had enough and needs to leave, and she heads through the streets of San Francisco, and that's where she meets Henry. Henry offers to take her in and teach her uh, what it's like to be loved mm-hmm. and to give her this real family. Uh place where she can feel safe, and it's the perfect setup for Mel. Uh, this is a family that seems to share everything. There are a ton of people who live together, who love each other, and seem to be taking care of each other. And every single member of this family is interested in helping fulfill Henry's lifelong dream of becoming a musician. He is, of course, helping them all out by offering them such a wonderful place to live and to love. And uh, if this is sounding a little bit like a polygamous <laughs> sect, uh that's because it is. It's what, well, I should be fair. It's more like a cult than anything. There's no um, marriage involved, and um, everyone's following the religion of Henry. Um, Mel, in her story, worships him and she refuses uh, and refers to him throughout the book with a capital H, as in him, capital H. Everybody wants to make his dreams come true. But of course, like in any cult story, things fall apart and uh, they might become a little bloody and everybody will become a suspect and accomplice to the crime. This is written in episodic verse, and the form really makes the story speed by, and the way that Astow creates such a like compelling, horrifying story is really sort of one of her trademarks, I think, as a writer. And this particular book, I think, for readers who are currently like head over heels with true crime and may have missed it, should definitely pick it up. That is Family by Nicole Astau.
0: Oh yes, the Charles Manson parallels are, they're, they are, they are very there. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. All right. So my next one is Amplified by Tara Kelly. Uh, so this is one from 2011. Uh, it's about a teen girl who runs away to become a musician after being booted from her house. Uh, I'm sure she's lived a fairly privileged, uh, life, uh, and starts to fall for a musician in her band. She has to prove to her bassist that, uh, you know, He's completely wrong about her, that she knows what she's doing, uh she has to wrestle with these feelings, and probably most importantly, struggle against all odds to chase this dream while wrangling all kinds of real-world issues, you know, like, how do you make money and survive as a teenager when you have no job, no car, no experience, anything like that. Um, it's just this really awesome, like, big-hearted music book. Uh, and I'm such a sucker for my, uh, for my music YA. Uh, it's an older one that I, you know, just like Tracked, I feel like didn't get as much love as it should have. Um, a sequel was published to this just a few back with, few years back with Entangled that I've been meaning to check out. Uh, and that's Amplified by Tara Kelly.
1: I really like that one too. Me too!
0: It's so great! And that cover, ugh. Oh, yeah. So good.
1: One of the, like, rare yellow covers in YA that, like, stands up.
0: Yeah. I have a little, uh, you know, I have a little a bookshelf rainbow, you know, or I have my red, orange, <laughs> yellow. And, like, that yellow section is always really hard to find. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Tara Kelly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: My next pick is The Storyteller by Antonia Michaelis, and it's translated by Miriam Debbage from German. Um, I've been thinking a lot about YA books in translation lately, and this is one that I absolutely adored when I read it and wish more readers would pick up, but I need to preface it by saying that it's dark and it's bloody and it's totally bleak. Like, this is not a happy story at all, (laughs) Um, which obviously means I love it. Um, yes (laughs) so so the story follows a girl named Anna and she's always had this really great life her friends always call her um her existence as being one in a soap bubble because she's never had anything bad happen to her and at school she's drawn to this kid named Abel who has this nickname of the Polish peddler and she can't stop thinking about him and um is fascinated by how different his life is than hers and she sort of realizes that by watching him indeed her existence is like a soap bubble. So Anna starts to follow Abel uh, because she's curious and also because she's found this doll that belongs to his sister and she begins to hear him tell his sister, Misha, a fairy tale about a little queen, a sea dog, and a world that isn't always safe. So there's this black ship that's always hovering, and the little queen must have her diamond heart protected. And as Anna sort of begins to befriend Abel, things don't go smoothly, and neither does that fairy tale that he's been telling uh, Misha. And Anna starts to learn that Abel and his sister are really, really poor, and they don't have the sort of home life or family that she does, and he subsequently is really, really protective of his little sister and wants nothing but the best for her. Anyway, Anna still can't get enough of Abel despite this, and she begins to fall in love. Abel's past, though, uh, starts to show up, and it shows up when there's this really cruel trick played on him by a classmate, and Anna's heart is really crushed, and we're led to believe that Abel is taking care of his sister because their mother has disappeared. And and indeed, like, their mother has disappeared. But since Abel's not yet 18, he can't legally take care of Misha, and their entire life has been kept a secret. If authorities were to get involved, they'd be separated. And Abel's entire life really revolves around protecting his sister from the horrors that he's experienced. So um, he doesn't want her gone. All of that is to say, this is a really intricate story that is told in two layers so there's the current layer of Anna and Abel's relationship and Anna following Abel as well as Abel telling his sister Misha this fairy tale and the two lines intersect and weave and are parallels to one another and it's about um what it's like to grow up in a really unstable environment and what that can look like um, when it comes to protecting those you love. Um, it's a romance, but also not particularly romantic. And like I said, it's super bleak. So this isn't like going to have like happily ever after, but um, is one of those stories that is translated. So it's already rare in YA, but the way it's translated and the way the story comes through is just so... Powerful. It reminded me a lot of, um, is it Jannie Teller's Nothing, which is really bleak as well, and another story in translation. Um, yeah, pick this one up because it's so different and such a powerful literary, uh, work in translation. That's The Storyteller by Antonia Michaelis, translated by Miriam Devage. So my next
0: one is, uh, Relativity by Kristen Bashara. This one came out in 2013. Um, this is one of those books that I scooped up when I was like just getting back into YA as, you know, a person who was no longer a YA. Uh, it's a teen, it's about a teen who finds a tree with a doorway, uh, that lets you travel into parallel universes. There's some sort of weird machine inside that you're not quite sure if it's, uh, all futuristic or if it's natural or what is going on. Um, and what's wild is that it sort of sounds like the plot of like a middle grade novel, you know, like time traveling, alternate dimension tree. Um, but it's this, like, layered complex novel about realizing, uh, what you have. Not that middle grade books don't do that. Um, I just don't think YA when someone tells me here's a novel about a dimension jumping tree, you know? <laughs> so I'm gonna read the, 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 the jacket copy from this one since it has been a while. Um, there are so many moments, uh, Ruby Wright wishes she could change. The moment her dad uprooted her to California to live in the backwoods of Ohio with their new stepfamily. The moment she moved away without telling her best friend George she loved Him, the moment a car accidentally ended her mother's life, but no one can rewrite time. At least, that's what physics-obsessed Rudy believes. Then she stumbles upon a lightning-powered tree, a doorway to a series of parallel universes. How many possible worlds will Ruby have to explore to find the right one with the perfect combination of people, relationships, and experiences? And is she willing to risk everything she has in order to get back what she lost? Uh, yeah, there's so many reasons why I love this novel, because every time she jumps into a new dimension, you know, maybe this dimension her mother is alive. Maybe this dimension she talked to George about how she felt uh, and what are the repercussions of things like that. It's kind of like a it's like Quantum Leap, but inside of a tree. <laughs> uh, and it's a uh, it's a lot of fun and really lovely. And that's a uh, Relativity by Kristen Bashara. And uh, yeah, I keep wondering what happened to her. I want another book from that author.
1: My next pick is by an author who's put out a few more books since since this one, uh, but I haven't read them yet, so I, I need to. Um, the book is Stupid Fast by Jeff Herbach, and it's the first in a trilogy. Um, and while all the books in the trilogy are good, this one is super outstanding and my favorite in the series. So it follows a boy named Felton who's always been a smaller guy, but also a really fast guy, and he's earned this nickname of Squirrel Nut. In fact, like for his size <laughs> and his squirreliness. Um, but over the course of the summer, I believe it's between his freshman and sophomore year. He has this massive growth spurt and now everybody in the school's athletic department wants him to be involved in sports. Um, he ends up practicing with the football team over the summer, even though he is adamant he will never actually play. Uh, But at the same time, he meets this new girl who's moved in next door. And uh, she is really into piano. She plays piano every morning and he cannot get enough like thinking about her and wanting to get to know who she is. And um, at the same time, his mom is experiencing uh, signs of depression and maybe alcoholism. So something's going on at home that doesn't feel quite stable. And his outlets now are this new girl as well as playing for the football team even though he's not gonna play for the football team (laughs) so this is about his summer discovering himself and stepping into a really important role in his house for his mother as well as his younger brother and it's about first love and uh felton's voice is such a great teen boy voice and readers who love sports stories will be taken with this one easily um for me this is one of those books i read when i realized that i do i like sports stories quite a bit um and Felton is just such a fantastic character and it's set in uh college town in Wisconsin so i connected with that as well and it's one that i just i really adored um his his crush is a biracial girl and uh that comes up i can't remember if it comes up in the first book or later about how um how important that is and how how it is to be biracial in a small Wisconsin town especially when you've moved from a city where that was far more common and that is Stupid Fast by Jeff Herbach.
0: All right. My next one is uh, Black Hole Sun by David McGinnis Jill. Um, so this trilogy is like, oh man, it's, it's such one of the underrated stars of the decade, in my opinion. It came out in 20. 20- uh 2010 with Green Willow. Uh it's set on a future Mars that we've since colonized uh with warring factions between people who have lived on Mars for a couple of decades now and those who are just starting to settle there. This wealthy elite class uh who sort of looks down on the poor folks of the frontier. Um it's basically like a YA western set on Mars. Mm. Uh if you liked Firefly, uh I feel like this is like it's kind of like YA Firefly. Um you have this Teen boy who has a um uh, named Durango who has a uh, like AI computer in his head that may or may not be a little more smarter and self-aware than other AIs should be. Uh, he is the uh, technically the, the the prince of Mars uh, but doesn't want to be and is out there being a rebel and doing his own thing. Um, I love that there's a blurb on this book from Suzanne Collins because like <laughs> I can't think of the last time I've seen a blurb from her anywhere. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun. All three books are just this like rollicking ride with this just really awesome voice and this awesome gritty sci-fi world. Um a lot of fun. More people should read it. And that's uh Black Hole Sun by David McInnes Jill.
1: My next pick is How It Went Down by Kekla Magoon. This one came out in 2014, three years before Angie Thomas's Awesome. The Hate You Give came out, and I think it's been underappreciated since it came out and hasn't been recommended enough for fans of Thomas's book. Um, So, it's a book about a 16 year old boy named Tariq who is shot and killed by a white boy named Jack. Um, After Tariq dies, everyone in their town has an opinion about what happened. Um, They all saw bits and pieces, they all heard different things, and um, this is about finding out the truth behind this incident, who did what, and understanding what reality is versus perception. Um, it's told in multiple voices, and it grapples with truth and racism as well as racial violence. It um, has a companion novel called Light It Up that just came out in the last couple of weeks um, and had a beautiful cover, and they redid the cover of this book to go with it. So I'm hoping that the repackage and the connection to the to the companion will put this one back in the spotlight some more. Um, it's really moving. And like I said, I think it's one that hasn't been recommended enough for fans of Thomas's book. And that is how it went down by Keckla Magoon.
0: All right. My next one is, uh, the girl who could silence the wind by Meg Medina. Uh, this one came out in 2012. So Meg Medina is like a kidlit icon. I think we can all agree on this. um, but I, I feel like her YA debut isn't nearly screamed about as much as her other ones. Like, am I right? Or am I?
1: Yeah. And you know, it's funny. Uh. I almost put this one on my list, too. So.
0: Yeah, it's wild. Like, you know, Yaki Delgado is everywhere. Burn Baby Burn won lots of awards. But uh yeah, her first one is fantastic. And I'm just going to dig into the jacket copy here. Um, 16-year-old Sonia Acapa was born on the night of the worst storm Tresmonts has ever seen. And when the winds mercifully stopped, an unshakable belief in the girl's protective powers began. All her life, Sonia has been asked to pray for sick mothers or missing sons, as worried parents and friends press silver migrados into her hand. Sonia knows she has no special powers, but how can she disappoint those who look to her for solace? Still, her conscience is heavy, so when she gets the chance to travel to the city and work in the home of a wealthy woman, she seizes it. At first, Sonya feels freedom uh, in being trapped. Uh she feels freedom in being treated, <laughs> not, not trapped, uh, like all the other girls. But when news arrives that her beloved brother disappeared while looking for work, she learns to her sorrow that she can never truly leave the past or her family behind. Uh, yeah, this is her first... And uh, it's funny, like, for a while, I actually thought Yaki Delgado was her first book. Um, So, yeah, scoop this up if you are a Meg Medina fan and have missed out on her earlier novels.
1: Yeah, and this one has a bit of magic throughout it, too.
0: Oh, yes. Magical realism going on.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and my last pick is Juvenile Injustice by Richard Ross. And, uh, I'm actually, I'm going to toss his second book in there as well, which is called Girls Injustice, because they go hand in hand. They're not YA books, but, uh, Juvenile Injustice was an Alex Award winner. So that means it's an adult book with tremendous teen appeal. And, um, both of them, I think, have really important appeal for teens as well as any reader who cares about the justice system and teens who are incarcerated. So both the books, and um, I'll talk specifically about Juvenile Injustice, um, they're collections of photographs, and in this particular title, it's over 150 photos that were taken over a five-year period that offer a peek at what life is like for young people who are incarcerated. He, uh, Ross, the creator visited over a 1,000 young people in 31 different states and something like 200 different detention centers. And while the photos are super evocative and important, the voice that Ross gives these young people in the book is what makes these so vital and so important. Um, Along with that, he weaves in some statistics and facts about teens who are experiencing incarceration, including um, stuff like what percentage of girls um, had been sexually abused when they came into the facility and all 88 in this particular facility had reported um, sexual abuse. Uh, Black youth were nine times as likely to be sentenced to adult prisons as white youth and even children as young as 11 have been sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. It's uh, Both these books are really, really stark and important and I think are vital for any reading and understanding of, of the justice system, as well as what it's like to be a young person who is part of this system. Um, and that is the, the two books are Juvenile Injustice by Richard Ross and Girls Injustice by Richard Ross.
0: Oh my goodness. Um, so let's see. My next one. And I guess my last one is, a hit by Delilah Dawson. This came out in, uh, in 2015. Uh, it's set in a world where the U.S. is out of debt. Hooray! Uh, <laughs> except, <laughs> uh, it's been taken over by a bank, uh, that has very just terrifying fine print in all of their credit card applications that basically make people assassins to go after people who have, uh, outstanding debts on the line. Uh, it's about a teen girl who doesn't really have a choice when it comes to whether or not she's going to be one of these assassins, uh, because they're going to come after her mother, uh, unless they can pay off her debt. So she's off on a mission to, uh, well, uh, take out (laughs) ten different people, uh, to help save her a mother. Um it's this really complicated, really dark uh YA novel that uh just did not find the audience that I think it should have. Uh that came out just a few years ago from an awesome author who writes uh Star Wars these days, and that is a Hit by Delilah Dawson.
1: I feel like we could go on and on. Like my initial list of books I wanted to talk about was like fifteen long, and I was like, oh, yeah. I have to make cuts, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like I have a couple rapid fire picks.
1: Yeah, go for it.
0: You know, like, If You Missed Out on Proxy by Alex London from 2013, you know, I feel like he's getting an awesome new audience thanks to Black Wings Beating. Uh, Blood and Salt by Kim Lidget, which came out in 2015, is it's my favorite YA horror novel ever. Uh, and now Kim is a giant New York Times bestseller thanks to The Grace Year. Uh, <laughs> the Well's End by Seth Fishman is a really fun, like, genre-blendy, uh, weird book that came out in 2012. Uh, and then Something Strange and Deadly by Susan Dennard, which I've talked about a few times, uh, came out in 2012. And she's been very open about the fact that, like, it's not the kind of book that took off uh, the way her, her newer series has. Uh, so if you missed out on that genre blend, uh, that one's a lot of fun. And I don't know, I feel like if anyone has, like, books that they love that came out over the past ten years, like, give us a shout. You know, maybe we can mention a couple in our in our talks.
1: Yeah, for sure. You can always email us or send us messages on social media. We're pretty responsive, I think. Yeah, I think so. Do you wanna Do you wanna hit our second sponsor before we go into our next topic?
0: I do. So our next sponsor is Rebel by Marie Lu with fierce reads, uh, the fourth and final book in a blockbuster best-selling series. The Legend series has sold over three million copies and is published in over thirty countries. Oh my god! Uh, fans have been hoping, asking, waiting for another Legend book. And now, it's finally here! Marie never planned to write another book, but an idea wouldn't let her go, and she knew there was (laughs) one more story to tell. Marie returns to the world of her best-selling, most beloved series, uh, In Rebel, which reunites us with our favorite characters on a totally unexpected, thrilling adventure. Recent praise for Rebel includes an epic romantic saga, as told by Entertainment Weekly, uh, and that Rebel is a masterful feat written by a powerhouse author, Marie Lu is a magic, uh, Tahara Mafi, best-selling author of the Shatter Me series.
1: All right, so for our next topic, we are going to dig into some recommended reads for Native American Heritage Month, which, um, Yay. yeah, let's, let's talk about that first, um, as we were going back and forth about what to talk about on the show, I was like, oh, we could do this. And I threw it on the agenda. And then Eric was like, I don't know if I have anything. And um,
0: and that's bad.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, it's also real because there's so few. Um, it's It's gotten better, but there's so few. And I think maybe what's more challenging is how few are like packaged that way, you know, like there's not enough talk about native lit. There are certainly leaders who are talking about it, but I think like on the whole in the YA world, it's not as much a focus as it should be.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, it it was, I was trying to research and having a hard time and I was asking for help.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and also we were talking, like we wanted to make sure that we hit on uh, tribal enrollments as well. And, Sometimes that was a little challenging to to track down. And um, I, I guess this is one of those calls where we say, like, we want to see more of this. And also, like, listening to some of the leaders in the field. Uh, I'm going to talk about one of Cynthia Lighting Smith's books. But she has been a tremendous resource on Native YA Lit for, like, decades, I believe, at this point. And her her resources on her website were super helpful in um, helping helping flesh out our recommendations. So since I brought her up, my first pick is Hearts Unbroken by Cynthia Lighting-Smith, and she is uh, Muscogee Nation. And I believe, actually, Amanda talked about this book on the last episode, but I'm going to include it because I dig it. I think it's an underrated gem in recent contemporary YA and also in activism-themed YA. So the book follows a girl named Lou as she navigates her uh, work as a reporter on her school's newspaper, and her school's dealing with rampant racism in um suburban Kansas. So when the school play is being cast as inclusively as possible, a bunch of local parents start to speak out against this quote-unquote reverse racism. And this impacts Lou personally, not just because of her work on the paper and her desire to report it, but also because her younger brother has been cast in one of the roles for The Wizard of Oz. So the book explores student journalism as well as racism and the ways that those two things weave together. It touches a bit on, uh, Native history and culture, and how it's been eviscerated in American history. And more it really digs into creators who are problematic and how it's possible, if it's possible, to navigate the love of art with knowledge of a creator's horrific history. So in this case, it, it digs into the Wizard of Oz and what a complicated character uh, L. Frank Baum was, and, and all of the terrible things he has said regarding genocide. Uh the thing I loved most about this book is that Lou, the main character, is is complicated. She's a little self-righteous and it makes perfect sense why she's this way. She has just got to work harder, fight longer, and speak more bluntly in order to be seen and heard. And she's really, really proud of her heritage, but knows that also a stumbling block for many, including her ex-boyfriend. But when Lou goes to tell the current boy she's dating about her own Muskogee background, she does so in a way that is um, racist against Arab Americans, which is what her boyfriend is. Um, And it's not until someone else explains this to her that she has this aha moment about how um, oppression isn't really a comparison game. It's awful no matter where it is or how it happens. And it also gives her this opportunity to understand how she talks about her own native experiences and how she can choose to share them with people like her boyfriend. I love this book. Um, I love that throughout, Lou and her brother practice Muskogee. And there's a short reference in the back of the book for readers who want to learn more about the language. And um, the author's note, too, is really worth reading. Um, that is Hearts Unbroken by Cynthia Lighting-Smith.
0: Oh, my goodness. I am about to fall down a Wikipedia hole about <laughs> L. Frank Baum. And it, it does it does not look great. Wow. I did not know. All right. Well, I learned something today. <laughs> All right, so my next pick is uh, Code Talker by Joseph Bucha. Uh He's enrolled in the Abinaki tribe. Um, throughout World War II, in the conflict fought against Japan, Navajo Code Talkers were a crucial part of the U.S. effort, sending messages back and forth in an unbreakable code that used their native language. They braved some of the heaviest fighting of the war, and with their code, they saved countless American lives. Yet their story remained classified for more than 20 years. Uh, Joseph Ruha brings their stories to life for young adults through the riveting fictional tale of Ned B.J., uh, a 16-year-old Navajo boy who becomes a Code Talker. His grueling journey is eye-opening and inspiring. This deeply affecting novel honors all those young men like Ned who dared to serve and honors the culture and language of the Navajo Indians, and that is a uh, Code Talker.
1: My next pick is After the Fall by Kate Hart. She's enrolled Chicksaw Nation with Choctaw Heritage. And I like to call this book one part Sarah Zar, one part Lori Hall-Sanderson, and one part Courtney Summers. So it's about a girl named Rachel, who is, uh, to put it lightly, maybe an unlikable female character. Uh, part of that is because she is sleeping with two boys at once, and it's not just, you know, two guys that she knows. Uh, one is her best friend, Matt, and one is his younger brother. She is dealing with the ramifications of being sexually assaulted, and she's not the kind of person who wants to be rescued from this, but she really wants somebody who can help her learn to stand up for herself again, to find her voice again, to understand what it's like to be a victim of sexual assault but in no way to be rescued from her experiences um but these are all complicated and compounded by the fact her dreams are really slipping out of view because of her family's financial status um her family is dealing with hardships when it comes to money and um it's it's meaning that some of her tools and resources might not be available to her uh, the book is set in the Ozarks and it's about kids who like to party, uh, but who are also complex and flawed and super worthy of empathy. And, um, I just don't feel like we see many books set there. I don't think we see many characters who have that background or those experiences. And particularly Hart really does a great job of showcasing class here. Um, it's a really moving book, a really challenging book, but a really worthwhile one. Um, And that is After the Fall by Kate Hart.
0: So my next pick is uh, The Marrow Thieves by Cherry Dimaline. She's enrolled in the Métis Nation and uh, is a Canadian author. and I can't believe I haven't read this one yet, because when I looked it up and read the jacket Copy, this is like a very me book. Uh, mm-hmm. In a futuristic world ravaged by global warming, people have lost the ability to dream, and the dreamlessness has led to widespread madness. Uh, the only people still able to dream are North America's indigenous people, and it is their marrow that holds the cure for the rest of the world. But getting the marrow and the dreams means death for the unwilling donors. Driven to flight, a 15-year-old and his companions struggle for survival, attempt to reunite with loved ones and take refuge from the quote-unquote recruiters who seek them out uh to bring them to marrow-stealing quote-unquote factories. Uh, I ordered this paperback like right after I found this one, <laughs> Kelly. uh And that is The Marrow Thieves.
1: And I believe it, it had its options sold, too. I can't remember if it was for television or for a movie, um, but we might see it on the screen at some point as well. My uh, next pick is The Night Wanderer by Drew Hayden Taylor. He's enrolled Ojibwe, uh, and he's part of the First Nations in Canada. Um, I picked this one up a few years ago at a book festival in Toronto, and it's one of the few indigenous people horror novels for YA readers out there in print and As I was like looking this one up and trying to remember what it was about and um, what I was thinking about when I read it, I realized that there's a graphic novel for this one, too, which might be worth tracking down. Um, It's a vampire story, by the way. And there are so few um, vampire stories prior to this year, the next couple of years, that um, aren't about and by white people. So this is is one to go back and check out. And I'm going to read the blurb because... It's been so long, and as I was reading the blurb, I was like, okay, I can't think of a better way to share the story because it gets right to it. So, um, nothing ever happens on the Otter Lake Reservation, but when 16-year-old Tiffany discovers her father is renting out her room, she's deeply upset. Sure, their guest is polite and keeps to himself, but he's also a little creepy. Little do Tiffany, her father, or even her astute Granny Ruth suspect the truth. The mysterious Pierre Laurent is actually a vampire returning to his tribal home after centuries spent in Europe. But Tiffany has other things on her mind. Her new boyfriend is acting weird, disputes with her father are escalating, and her estranged mother is starting a new life with somebody else. Fed up and heartsick, Tiffany threatens drastic measures and flees into the bush. There in the midnight woods, a chilling encounter with Laurent changes everything for both of them. It's a mesmerizing blend of gothic thriller and modern coming-of-age novel. The Night Wanderer is unlike any other vampire story, and indeed it, it it was. It was very unique and fresh and super engaging. And that is The Night Wanderer by Drew Hayden Taylor. Oh,
0: that sounds awesome.
1: Do you have another one?
0: Oh no, that is that is it for me. <laughs>
1: I was like, you got silent. Are you gonna, are you like just sitting with it? Or are you gonna like pop it in? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got one more yeah. I'll wrap it up with and that is, um, Not Your Princess, Voices of Native American Women, edited by Lisa Charlie Boy, who is Chilcotin um, enrolled, and Mary Beth Leatherdale, who I can't, um, I don't believe she's Native, but she works on a lot of anti-racist education and publishing, particularly when it comes to uh, Native voices and stories. (laughs) So um, this is a short and sweet recommendation. It's just a, um, it's an anthology of short, powerful, Indigenous women's voices. So there is uh, full-color pieces of art there's poetry and um, perspectives about life experiences from the good the bad to the joyous to the painful and um this is one of those books that as i was reading it i wish for longer because i I wanted to hear more there were so many new to me voices in here and um i could have read longer pieces by so many of these creators and that is not your princess voices of native american women
0: All right, some good recommendations.
1: Yeah, so uh, so I think that's our show. Thanks, y'all, for tuning in this week. If you have feedback, you can leave it on Apple Podcasts. That lets us know how we're doing, and it helps other people find us. Shout out to the librarian who came up to me at uh, y'all's symposium last week and said hi. Um, that was fun. I always love it when that happens. And then I think <laughs> people know me from the podcast better than they know my books. Um, <laughs> you can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Instagram as @HeyKellyJ. Benson, and you can follow eric smith on twitter and on instagram as eric smith rocks and we'll talk to you again in two weeks bye bye